Welcome to the Daily Standard Podcast. It is March 7th, 2018. I'm Charlie Sykes. Another day in paradise. I am joined by John McCormick and Grant Wishard of the Weekly Standard. And Grant uh, just had uh, this amazing adventure bicycling along the U.S.-Mexico border. Are you recovered from that yet, Grant, by the way? Not uh, fully recovered. I actually didn't make it all the way across the border. I fell off my bike, uh, lamely enough, halfway through and fractured my elbow. So I'm actually recovering now. Uh, until the Weekly Standard sends me back to bike the Texas portion. All right. Well, I, w- I do want to talk about that a little bit later, uh, a little bit later on the program. So I just want to break th- down the, the news of the day. You have a porn star suing the president of the United States. Everybody apparently wants to work in the White House, right, according to Donald Trump. And uh, one of the top trending stories in America involves The Bachelor, which I didn't watch. I have never watched. I completely don't understand. So uh, can you guys break this down? what the the cultural political significance of of the bachelor and 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 why this is what people are paying attention to uh i'm gonna have to pass my my wife turned it on for about two minutes last night and i asked her politely requested uh that we change the channel so so grant do you it's okay to admit it it's safe i'm gonna have to uh admit ignorance too i know nothing about the bachelor the reason I bring it up is I, 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 you know, open up the I open up Twitter this morning and I see that people are comparing um, Gary Cohn, um, the, the economic advisor who just quit, comparing him to the the jilted um, fiance on The Bachelor. And then I am just haunted by this thought, you know, that, that, that we're sitting around here. We're talking about Dodd-Frank and tariffs and we're talking about policy when the real America is watching reality TV shows. You know, that, that millions of Americans spent the last, what, 10 years watching The Apprentice while we're, you know, we're looking at welfare reform or whatever or the, with the debt ceiling. And this is one of the reasons why we are completely disconnected and clueless about what real Americans are thinking. So real Americans are watching and talking about The Bachelor, but we're going to talk about tariffs, right? Sounds I mean, good. this is... This is they, they should <laughs> this watch is The White House. It's much more uh, entertaining most days. Uh, it is. Okay, so I mean, I'm looking at the headlines of the day. New York Times, advisor to Emirates with ties to Trump aides is cooperating with special counsel. Daily Beast, Trump lawyer Michael Cohen received inside information from the Russia probe. CNN, Scaramucci is going after Kelly with Trump's blessing, sources say. And of course, Stormy Daniels sues Trump, says hush agreement invalid because he never signed. But let's start off with the resignation of uh, the president's top economic advisor. There have been a lot of departures from the White House. John McCormick, this is really the first one that I can recall off the top of my head that is based on policy. So break down the significance of, uh, of the Gary Cohn resignation. Well, there are a lot of people who serve the president, not necessarily because they support him as a person or they're fully on board with his idea of Trumpism, whatever that is. Uh, but they're there out of a sense of, you know, serving the country or, or constraining him from from doing harm. And I think Gary Cohn definitely falls into that category. Uh, the real question for me is whether or not he is leaving simply because he lost this one battle over steel and aluminum tariffs. I mean, you would think that if he thought this could be contained, uh, he could let Trump have his way in steel and aluminum, keep it, you know, let, let him have this window dressing for his protectionist uh, policies. Again, the president is a person who likes to just say he fulfilled his promises, even when he necessarily didn't, you know, it's 
things like the idea that he repealed Obamacare because they simply took out the individual mandate. Um, so the, the real question for me is, does Gary Cohn know that this is the first shot in a real trade war and Trump is really serious? Or does he think this is just bad enough by itself and he doesn't want to see the outcome? Uh, I, I don't know, but it is, uh, it is definitely a, a bad sign if you are actually concerned about a, uh, a trade war. Yeah, and, and very clearly it means that this White House becomes even Trumpier than it was before. The so-called globalist New York caucus appears to, well, its ranks have been decimated. And who long, who knows how long Jared and Ivanka are going to be around, assuming that they're actually a part of this as well. You know, it's interesting. I don't know whether you saw the uh, the, the headlines. I know, John, you're a fellow cheesehead. Uh, to watch Scott Walker, who has been eh, pretty friendly with uh, Donald Trump, is very actively campaigning against this tariff. Has broken very, very sharply. Um, and of course, uh, you know, for people who think that this uh, these kinds of tariffs play well in the upper Midwest, uh, not in Wisconsin. Well, that's a key point here. Uh, Megan McArdle, actually at the Washington Post today, she has a great article about how you need to make the point that it's not simply about consumers. It's not simply about paying an extra hundred bucks for a car, an extra two hundred bucks for a car, an extra penny a can per beer. You need to make the point that this costs more jobs than it gains. That there are more people in 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 industries that use steel and consume steel uh, that are going to be hurt and losing good-paying American jobs, blue-collar jobs, uh, than are helped by this uh, one-time. Uh, you know, or this 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 carve out for a specific industry. Uh, there, there's a great editorial too today at the Weekly Standard uh, about the idea of how tariffs not only uh, you know they they distort the market, they hurt consumers, they hurt workers, uh, but this is also really kind of a, a perfect example of crony capitalism. In particular, uh, the, the Trump administration suggests they're going to exacerbate that problem by creating exemptions for specific industry or specific companies. So they haven't exactly said how you know one company will get an exemption one won't, but that basically implicitly acknowledges uh, that tariffs do in fact hurt uh, job creation. They do stall job creation. Otherwise, there wouldn't be any need for exemptions. Uh, so I think that's really interesting. And, you know, I mean, the Obama administration had the cylinder scandal because they like solar power. And I wouldn't be surprised if there will be some uh, steel or aluminum company scandal uh, with the Trump administration giving a handout to a big company that promises a lot of jobs and, and they don't materialize. I thought that was a fascinating point. Um, it, it, I mean, how, how long have uh, Republicans and conservatives railed against government picking winners and losers? And that's exactly what Navarro was uh, was talking about. You know, we're going to sit back and decide this. Uh, this applies to you. It doesn't apply to you. And you know, and it really goes to the kind of the heart of the you know centralization of industrial policy that that, that you get. Also, uh, there's a, there's also a piece in the Weekly Standard that points out that that this this whole tariff un- seems to undermine the, the the fundamental trump doctrine which is to juice the gdp to grow the economy to create jobs and it seems so it seems so counterintuitive okay we could spend all day on on the tariffs i know you guys really want to get back to the the, the bachelor um any of these stories that are coming out about the special counsel um ring any bells with you um, I know that it's you know it's, it gets into the weeds, but I was reminded yesterday watching the news breaking, you know, particularly about this advisor to the Emirates uh, cooperating with the special counsel. Once again, a reminder that most of us have no idea how broad, how intricate this investigation is becoming. The the, the Mueller investigation, you know, is 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 uh, is is probing into corners and and you know niches of Trump world 
that that we hadn't even speculated about before. Any reaction that you're getting um, in, uh, in in D.C. to this sense that that maybe, you know, that the uh, the Miller Mueller investigation is going to places that they hadn't expected? Yeah, I mean, I, I think the, one of the interesting questions is whether it will go into this whole question of the Stormy Daniels, alleged Stormy Daniels payoff. I mean, this is a clear FEC violation, I would think, by Michael Cohn paying $130,000. I don't see how that isn't an in-kind campaign contribution. And you got to recall that John Edwards was actually prosecuted over this on criminal charges. Acquitted, Uh, but Acquitted, yeah. So it's important to point out that he was prosecuted. There was a question of whether or not the, what million dollar payoff he got from a donor uh, to Riel Hunter uh, to to keep quiet, whether that was uh, an FEC violation and a criminal violation. And the jury acquitted him at the end of the day. So these these cases do uh, hinge very importantly on the specific details. Uh, there's a ar- good article I was reading early today that said, uh, you know, the, uh, Edwards basically got off uh, 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 from the charges uh, because there was a pre-existing relationship. And, and so mm-hmm. what is that? How does that play here? But yeah, I mean, we're basically, you know, we're, we're groping in the dark here. Uh, you know, we're getting bit by bit uh, different pieces. You don't know what's true and what's partial truths and what's the whole truth here. Uh, so, but a lot of interesting things happening. Yeah. Uh, the president, uh, saying that, uh, everybody wants to work in the white house because it's so cool and he's going to attract the best people. Uh, there was, I saw some speculation that Larry Kudlow might t- take a Gary Cohn spot. I obviously have no insight into that, except that even Larry Kudlow has been critical of the tariffs. Um, any, any idea on the, on the timing or names that seem plausible to you to replace Gary Cohn? Or is he just going to leave it blank? Is he going to leave it vacant? I think he'll leave it vacant for a while. I mean, it's going to be hard for him to get someone in there who shares his views on trade. Uh, I mean, the, the reason that Peter Navarro became his top trade guy was because they, they went around Googling for a person who happened to agreed with who happened to agree with Trump on the issue of trade. So they're going to have a difficult time finding someone uh, to fill that spot, I think. Okay, there, there was actually a uh, an election yesterday in Texas, and everybody's of course uh, spinning the numbers. Um, obviously, you know, Democrats turned out in much larger numbers than in the past, but there are still a lot more Republicans in Texas. Do you have any take on uh, how we ought to read these these numbers? I mean, they, the preliminary numbers that I'm seeing are that uh, yeah, dramatic increase in Democratic turnout, but still you're talking about about a million Democrats, um, while there's a million and a half Republicans. So. So no, Texas is not likely uh, to turn blue. Um, you know, good news for Democrats, but uh, you know, probably not a uh, big enough tsunami. Probably not. Yeah, I mean, the, the big top line story is that Democrats are more energized, but don't seem like they're on the verge of taking over Texas. But again, in, in a wave, crazy things can happen. They don't necessarily in the, in the 2010 wave and tw- uh, Republicans still lost the California Senate race by 10 points, even as they picked up a whole bunch of Senate seats and House seats. Um, what, what I'm more interested in is Texas is actually a little a little uh, House primary where you had a candidate who was endorsed. Her name was Kathleen Wall. Uh, this was outside of Houston. She uh, had spent $6 million of her own money. She had the endorsement of uh, Governor Abbott, Senator Cruz, and she came in third place. She didn't even make it to the runoff. Uh, pretty remarkable. The The first place finisher is a state representative, and the second place finisher is a guy named Dan Crenshaw. He's a 33-year-old former Navy SEAL. Uh, he uh, lost an eye in Afghanistan fighting and, uh, you know, he, he won on a shoestring budget. I mean, I'm hearing something like $100,000 uh, were spent in a late ad buy on his behalf. That's 
all that I'm aware of so far uh, that went on on air. So $100,000 compared to $6 million, uh, that kind of does it. It's a big blow to this idea that you can buy a congressional seat. Uh, he was definitely a more impressive candidate, had a great biography. Uh, I spoke to him, did a little uh, web piece on him a couple weeks ago. Um, and it's, it's pretty remarkable um, that he edged out a candidate who spent $6 million of her own money. Um, I'm going to get to a grant story about uh, what he saw down at the board in just a moment. But uh, I want to give a shout out to uh, one of our uh, our advertisers. When I say Dollar Shave Club, if the first thing that pops into your head is an amazing affordable shave, uh, there's a lot more to this story. It's more than just razors. It is way better than shopping in a store. And this is particularly uh, attractive to me because I hate actually shopping. Um, Dollar Shave Club delivers to you everything you need to look, smell, feel your best, shampoo, body wash, toothpaste, and of course the best razors I've ever used. Um, I get an amazing high quality shave every morning from my Dollar Shave Club executive razor. In fact, just a few minutes ago, I'm five hours uh, different than you guys here. But the true hero is uh, this Dr. Carver's Shave Butter. Um, if you want to really want to spoil yourself, you really ought to try this with the way it makes that razor glide across uh, your skin. So anyway, if you want to join today, we have a special bargain for you for just $5 with free shipping. You'll get the six blade executive razor plus trial sizes of shave butter, body cleanser. And this is a little ironic, but they're called one wipe Charlie's. It's nothing to do with me. They are. You know. they, then you keep the blades coming for a few bucks more a month. Get yours at the dollarshaveclub.com slash weekly standard. That's the dollarshaveclub.com slash weekly standard. Okay, Grant, before you had your accident, you are on this remarkable 1,600-mile bike ride along the U.S.-Mexico border. First of all, where did the idea come from to do this? That is a uh, great question. That's what a lot of people ask, uh, because when I tell them I was going to bike the U.S.-Mexico border, they'd say, that's insane, don't do that. <laughs> and um, it actually came about after a another bike trip that I took along the east coast of Florida. We went from uh, from Jackson all the way to the end of uh, Key West. And um, so I just uh, started working here at The Standard with the idea that I wanted to combine... Uh, these two things, uh, you know, biking and writing. And I think what that... Getting out of the office. Yeah, yeah. I think that just that what that first experience taught me is that biking is actually a great great way to uh, report a story. It puts you on the ground. It's slow moving enough that you interact with a lot of people um, who, uh, you know, just happen to live in the area, just a lot of locals. You're not dealing with, uh, you know, officials or whatever. And, uh, but it's also fast enough that you can cover an enormous distance and, uh, you know, something like the U.S.-Mexico border. Okay. So you are a young guy, you're with blonde hair, blue eyes, you don't speak Spanish. Yeah. How were you received when you got down there? I was received, uh, very well. I really thought those things would, uh, sort of keep me on the outside, um, you know, being a gringo myself. Um, but I was... I'm still blown away by the hospitality we were showed. Um, people were um, so welcoming. Uh, they would do anything for us. You know, if we were in a tight situation, we stayed in people's homes instead of uh, motels. We um, hitched rides with, uh, you know, in pickup trucks instead of, uh, you know, I mean, just 
uh, were fed by, you know, everywhere we went. Just a great uh, reception. So I, you, you have a piece coming out in the Weekly Standard, a number of your conclusions, one of which is Mexicans love Americans except what? Except Trump. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> they make, and they do make a distinction. Yes. Um, I really felt that um, while everyone I met had uh, critical things to say about uh, the United States, um, which I think is inevitable, um, they were critical of the United States as an institution, not of individuals, you know, like me, you know, just regular everyday Americans. Um, more American expats live in uh, Mexico than any other country in the world. There's a huge uh, cross-border economy, and relations are just so normalized on the border. It's just everyday business. There's nothing bitter about it. You make an interesting point here that, that you ran into uh, one of the advocates who says that illegal immigration is a cultural issue rather than a political one. What, what did she mean? That's right. Um, really, the most interesting conversation I had uh, throughout the entire trip is that this um, this woman who knows the border extremely well uh, said that she felt the problem of illegal immigration was a uh, the product of a cultural misunderstanding. So she... Uh, for example, would never consider crossing the border illegally herself. She has no friends or even friends of friends who have ever done this or would even entertain the thought because people who live on the border understand that there's a better way to cross. Uh, you you go to one of these border towns uh, like Nogales or Sonoida or Mexicali, and these places are always booming economies because of their connection to the United States, and you get a job. You apply for a legal work visa and you wait and know there aren't enough uh, work visas to uh, go around. But even if you have to wait two or three years, um, crossing the border that way is ultimately um, much better, much safer. And she actually called it the real um, American dream. She said the American dream is to um, work in the United States and earn dollars, but to live in Mexico. You also note that that a lot of the people who cross don't plan to stay. That's right. Mexicans who go to the United States are interested primarily in earning dollars. I mean, it's about money. It's not about acquiring citizenship. They're not coming here for truth, justice in the American way. Yeah, it's, right. it's, it's, it's economic. It's a very transactional. Right. I, and, and it makes sense. I mean, uh, the minimum wage in Mexico is... Uh, seven pesos an hour. That's 35 cents. So the incentive for um, people from Mexico to come to the United States is, you know, a temptation that can't be refused. So do you, do you have an opinion about whether or not the wall would fundamentally solve the problem of illegal immigration, whether it would change what you found there? Do you, do you, do you address that question of, uh, of the wall? I do. Um, I don't think it would um, solve the problem. Uh, the wall is enormous and intimidating in 95% of what we saw of the border. There was maybe one or two times when I could look across the United States and not see a wall. Um, but that's also not to say that border security doesn't work. It really uh, does work. It's become much more effective over the years. And, uh, you know, uh, deportations are more successful all the time. So that's not to say that 
Customs and Border Protection just has to throw their hands up. Well, I, I hope you're feeling better after you, uh, you you had your accident. I'm looking forward to looking forward to your story. Gentlemen, uh, thank you so much for joining me uh, uh, today. Uh, John McCormick and Grant Wishard. Uh, and thanks for listening to the Daily Standard podcast. I'm Charlie Sykes. We'll be back again tomorrow.